Well, take your Bibles and uh, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, first of all, though we'll take a little while in getting to that passage. If you're using our Bibles, use, uh, go to page 962, 962. One of the effects of the pandemic, of course, has been the changes and stresses that it's brought to the workplace. Suddenly, the trend of working at home accelerated with an abrupt lurch, and uh, every day was suddenly casual Friday for, for some of you. Unemployment skyrocketed in those early months. In fact, the U.S. Bureau of Labor and Statistics says that in April of 2020, unemployment reached almost 15%, which is the highest it had ever uh, risen, uh, going back to as long as they've kept records. Businesses were shuttered, and we all know how that went. But now, suddenly, it's so different, and everybody can't find workers uh, to, to fill the spots. They're pleading for workers. They're offering bonuses. They're uh, offering higher wages. And there are companies making major adjustments just to try to fill the slots. I read about a, this, this this morning a, uh, a uh, fast food chicken chain that I didn't recognize in the South that is asking the corporate employees to all fill sp- spots in the restaurants as supply chain and, and, and hiring is struggling. Put it all together, and what it means is this. This is a tremendous time to be a Christian in the workplace. Take all that stress, all the chaos, all the frustration, and suddenly you and I as believers in Christ can stand out the way God intended. In our passage today, there's two verses here. First of all, about one core attitude that will make you distinctive, and that is respect for those who are above you. If they ask you, you're corporate and now you're flipping burgers or whatever it might be, if, if you are, are the one who is willing in, a, in, in the break rooms, in the private messages, everybody else is grumbling, everybody else is complaining, but you refuse to participate and you have this willing, positive attitude, you will be having an impact. So these two verses in First Timothy, and then we're going to also go to some uh, additional verses that are written by the same man, Paul, to the same church, Ephesus, just a few years later, or previous, because as if you've been part of this study, you know that First Timothy is written, Paul to Timothy, who's leading the church at Ephesus. He's telling Timothy the instructions to give to workers. The issue is slaves and masters. We'll talk about that. But he has written already directly to the Ephesian Christians about the same subject in Ephesians 6, so we'll go there eventually too. But before we do, I'd like us to kind of look at the big picture of work in the Bible, if it's possible to get the, the biggest picture, because if you, if you go back to the beginning, you find that work actually began before sin came into the world. Do you realize that? Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it, or uh, some say cultivate it. So work didn't start out frustrating. It started out really good. It was in the Garden of Eden. It was all perfect. Um, You might wonder what there was to do in the Garden of Eden if it was perfect and there were no weeds. Being married to an avid flower gardener, 
I actually have inside information, and I know that Adam's work was to put flowers wherever Eve wanted him to put them. (laughs) Just my own little interpretation. Whatever Adam and Eve did in the garden, it was good work. It was good work. It was in a perfect environment. There never was something better. But then, chapter 3, came Adam and Eve's sin and work dramatically, drastically changed for the worse. Cursed is the ground because of you, God told Adam. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. Wow. Pretty dismal. Work was essentially a a punishment for sin, and yet it was the only path to eat. And so from here on out, work was, was hard. In some sense, if it's not hard, it's not work. And so God has given us work. So how is work going to be redeemed? When you hear co-workers complaining about the work, the pay, the boss, the conditions, everything, what you realize is they are stuck in this curse cycle. That's as far as they've gotten. They are experiencing the curse, and we are too, but there is a a means by which the scripture is saying that, that we can transcend the curse, and work becomes redeemed. Don't misunderstand, not all work is horrible, of course. Uh, There are many jobs that bring significant satisfaction. I hope hope you have one. But beyond the nature of the work that might be satisfying for you, there is a level of satisfaction to which God is calling us in the workplace that is above and beyond, that transcends anything that an unbeliever can experience. To try to understand both the frustration side as well as the redemption of work, I'd like us to kind of think through our motives for working. These are, these are all kind of like obvious. You could, you could have filled these in and probably thought of more. One is money. <laughs> you need money, and you'd like more money. There are essentials, and then you would like to buy nicer things, so we work for money. We work for a sense of accomplishment. Sometimes if you are lazy too long, or you lay around the couch watching Netflix too long, you begin to realize, I don't really want to do this all the time. And so you realize that actually in work there is satisfaction in doing something, doing it well, and you feel better about yourself. Then there's this factor of recognition or competition that kind of drives basically everything we do, it seems like, where you would like to be really good at your job, hopefully, and you want to be recognized as probably the better or maybe the best among your peers. Maybe you say, no, I just like making people happy. That's what I do at my job, and that's great. That's a very noble desire that brings satisfaction to others, but you like to be appreciated if, I do, you like to be promoted, you like to have more sales, because if you can help make more people happy, the customer is king, right? You can, you can accomplish that, and, and you don't want to be dependent on others, do you? And so you you work hard because you don't want to be one of those that has to always be helped. You want to be someone who is self-sufficient and able to take care of yourself and be independent. Now, all of these things, and there could be more, all these things are part of what we would call a good work ethic. There there are some great verses in Proverbs. Uh, Thessalonians talks to some of those who are idle or lazy and say, hey, you don't want to be dependent on others. And these are good 
concepts. This, this is what we teach our children about work when you have them do chores. This is, this is how we try to motivate the kids at school with, with good grades and reward and, and, hey, you don't want to be the bottom of the class, do you? And, and so we, we, we understand this is kind of what makes, you know, especially American society work. So if these are the good motivations, why is there still so much complaining and frustration at work? Why is it that a good work ethic can still leave us empty somehow? Not long ago, we were studying in Ecclesiastes, and uh, there were some great nuggets about work that Solomon described. Solomon was the most successful worker ever. Start reading the first couple chapters of Ecclesiastes. He was the wealthiest ever, greatest accomplishment, most wisdom. And what did he continually conclude about his work? empty vanity it leaves me empty hmm why could that be what what do we see in this list that could be responsible for some of the emptiness i'd like to buy nicer things i'd like to feel better about myself i'd like to be recognized better than my peers i'd like to be appreciated promoted i'd like to be more successful i'd like to take care what is the what's the what is it all about i would like it is a self-focus, even in the best of what we honor as a good work ethic. Still, there is self, there's pride, and these are not ultimately great things. So what is it that can redeem this? Many workers come to the end of their working days, good work ethic, and, and, and successful. And yet, even, or especially as they retire, they may feel empty because now you add the, the timeline of their life is shrinking. And so, to the degree that we are self-centered in our work, we will experience emptiness. So what did Solomon propose? And then we're going to look at our passage to see what Paul the Apostle in a New Testament sense says will change things and redeem work. Solomon said, I hated all the things I had toiled for, toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. My time is running out. I've done this great job of accumulation and obviously I die, someone else gets it. Ecclesiastes 4.4, 4, I saw that all toil and achievement springs from one's person, one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after wind. He says, seriously, we're just trying to beat each other out? Are supposed to find happiness in that? Or this one. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. So uh, the greed, the discontent, that's never going to fill us and bring satisfaction. So is there meaning to work, Solomon, over and over in the cycles of that book of the Old Testament? Solomon said, yes, there is. And he captured it actually early in the book by saying this. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. Is that a contradiction? Not really, because look, this too I see is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? See, this opens a whole new window on work when suddenly it is not about self and me and accumulation, because that's all going to leave me empty. But if I realize, wait a minute, 
God has given me my job. God has given me the, the, the food, the provisions, or if there's anything nice in my life that, that, that I had to pay for, then God gave me that. And so suddenly our work life becomes a vertical relationship instead of a selfish inward motivation. And to the degree we are God-focused, that's where we find true satisfaction. It's even more clear as we come to the New Testament and look at the words of Paul. Because in Christ, we now have additional motivation that would enable us to find satisfaction at our work. So let's pick it up in 1 Timothy 6, verse 1. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching or the gospel may not be slandered. So we are affecting the reputation of Christ. And while it says work so that we don't cause shame to Christ, the reverse positive statement is work so that you glorify Christ. So what you're doing in your, your days, five, six days a week, is actually honoring the gospel and the God that you worship. Suddenly there's a whole new light on what we accomplish all those days of the week. Those who were under the yoke of slavery, uh, slavery was as common in the first century Roman Empire as really probably any kind of blue-collar work would be today. They depended on slaves, much of the works force doing common and even specialized work. There were some also there were also some common day laborers who were free people. Jesus refers to uh, going to get someone to hire them for the day when they hired them for different hours, Matthew 20. So not everybody was a slave or a master. There was some in between, but if you had some means and there was a real uh, salary or, or, or economic disparity, if you owned things, you tend to own more things and you would need people to help you take care of things. And so in that uh, culture, it what meant you would own slaves who cooked and who, who taught your children and worked fields and even ran the businesses for their owners. Just going back to the Old Testament, Joseph was a slave of, of Potiphar and he was put in charge of everything, though still a slave. We mostly know of the cruelty of racial slavery in America's pre-Civil War past and sadly the impact is uh, too much with us. But the slavery of the Roman Empire, while not being different, was really still wrong. And what surprises us, perhaps, is that Paul, in his role as an apostle, never wrote in an attempt to end slavery. He rather addressed the opportunity of living within a culture of slavery and representing Christ well. He didn't transform the culture, and he didn't overcome the political climate that created it. He says, here we are, we're believers, we're citizens of heaven, living on earth. How do we represent Christ the best? And so that was the slave relationship, and so it really is very legitimate to just say what we're really talking about today as we translate it to our culture is employees and, and, and employers. So the first thing Paul says that will redeem work 
be it slaves then or employees today, if you work for somebody, is this issue of respect, understanding authority. It's way too common to complain about management. Um, You hear some pretty bitter, disrespectful stuff, don't you? Whether it's on a production line or an office or a, a text or break room or whatever it might be. But the issue here is, do people hear that from you as a believer? Are you, are you a part of that? Because, in fact, if you are a believer in Christ, you will be viewed differently and you are held to a higher standard. I may have told this story before, but I was, one summer during my college years, I was in my hometown and working at a job where we were unloading stuff from a truck and and uh, all of a sudden it started to rain, which was very inconvenient because we're trying to, we were working from outside to inside. And, and I, I, I looked up and said, stop it. I, I think I was just kind of like innocently talking to the rain, but you know what the least godless, size, least godless guy in the crew said? He said, ooh, look at Sid. He's bad-mouthing God. And I go, man, I got to watch what I say. Is it okay that we're held to a higher standard? It is because it's an opportunity to reflect God and the gospel. We're the ones that have the Holy Spirit. It's like everybody else can't help themselves but to to live under the curse of work. Complain about management, whatever it is. But you and I have the Holy Spirit, and so there is a genuine opportunity to operate by the Spirit and not by the flesh, the sinful nature. And if we do participate and unleash those words and attitudes just like the world, we're convincing them that Christ really does not make a difference. So we don't have that luxury. Turn with me. We're going to come back to verse 2 later on. But turn with me now to uh, Ephesians 6, page 950 in uh, the Bibles here. This is Paul's previous letter to the Ephesian church, and Paul digs even deeper into this uh, principle. You could say the basic principle is this, and we've talked about it many times. Everything is spiritual. If you belong to Christ, then everything you do is spiritual. That's what we were talking about in those uh, passages we read to open the service. Glorify God in everything. So the time that we spend together here in a worship service, or an adult Bible fellowship, or Bible study, or whatever, that's like a spiritual retreat. That's like, that's, that, that's, a, that's a refreshing time. But you could say the real work of being a Christian in a non-Christian world is everything else that we do that's not when we're together. Those five or six days a week really do matter. So chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, they're watching, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. So obey sincerely, come under his or her authority, your boss, his authority, because you're really... Obeying and serving Christ. Now, your boss may not be a believer. In fact, he or she could be a very difficult person, made life hard and hurt people here and there. But 
This is not saying that you imagine them to be Christ, but it's like if you can visually, as you see your boss or instructions from your boss, it's like you see behind and you say, I see Christ back there. I see that Christ has given me this job for better or for worse. Christ has given me this boss for better or for worse. And so this is my task because the boss, the master, Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, is the top of every chain of authority. So, not only when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Just about everybody, if they have any success at work at all, knows how to work well enough when it will be checked, <laughs> when it is seen, when it, when it can be caught. Um, if that's our standard, then we are no different than the world. But he's calling us to a higher standard that we recognize that if we're working for the ultimate boss, Jesus Christ, then everything we do is seen and known right down to the attitudes of our heart. So we, we, we Christians are, are really living on a higher plane because we're going to experience a deeper satisfaction in the redemption of work on this sinful earth as slaves of Christ doing the will of God. Now, Paul often referred to himself as a slave of Christ, and he maybe said it so often because he pictured himself like in this, this, this complete obedience to Christ that we might think, well, that might be like most like a missionary pastor thing. <laughs> he said, no, 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 it's everybody is a slave of Christ. Mechanics, baristas, clerks, school teachers, custodians, vice presidents, whatever your role is, you're actually serving Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. How, how do you know if your job's the will of God? Well, do you need the work? You need to provide for your family. It's God's will that you have a job, whether it's that job or not. So do you, do you know that God wants you to provide is the first thing. But the second thing, do you know that God wants the job done that you're doing? That he wants somebody to do it? Because it's a good thing in some sense. If your job is running a meth lab, that's off the table. Get a different job. If your job is to call people and tell them that their car warranty is expired, just don't call me. I've already heard from you. But if your job fits into God's plan, somehow you're providing some goods, services that, that provide, that help, that enrich life on this planet where God has us, then embrace it and say, yes, this is God's will for me. And so then do it well. In fact, do it so well that people will wonder, what's motivating you? You, you realize there's you may be in a position, there's, there's no promotion coming, right? There's no raise coming. So that we would be so distinctive because we're doing the will of God from the heart. What does that look like, verse 7 and 8? Serve wholeheartedly or with goodwill as if you were serving the Lord and not men. Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether slave or free. Anyone God rewards whether they're a slave or they are free, based on what? I have the term wholehearted. Um, 
most Bible translations have the term something like goodwill. It's, it's a great word. It basically just means work with a good attitude. A good attitude. We, we all know what that is because you, you cannot even hide an attitude. If you're, if you're a parent, a coach, um, a teacher, a boss, you, you can always see an attitude. There are, there are squints and grimaces, body language, uh, guttural sounds, uh, whatever it might be. When you don't have a good attitude, we've all seen it, and we've all been, been guilty. Serving with a good attitude. What if we're stuck with the grunt work? What if we are unfairly given jobs that uh, belong to somebody else? What if it's busy work? A good, willing attitude will actually be distinctive and extraordinary if it's done for Christ, serving the Lord and not men. Christ is the only reason you can pull off a good attitude when there's every reason not to have one. Does that mean that a Christian should never object or stand up to a boss? I don't think this is actually addressing those times. Obviously, there's times where you might be asked to do something unethical or immoral, and you switch to a different principle. You've got to obey God rather than, than men. What about telling your superior that uh, you don't think that's a good idea? In the, in the modern workplace, there is hopefully a good enough environment that part of your role would be to have input into your job so that you could uh, contribute something, object, discuss ideas with a superior. Hopefully you're even hired for that. But you would need to have a good reputation and a good attitude to best be received when you have that opportunity to make your work better. I guess I'm technically in the boss position on the staff here. And I know that one of the reasons that uh, I appreciate Nate and, and Seth on, on the staff is they have the spine to interact with me so that there's a give and take of, what do you think about this idea? And I can hear from them. And same, same principles we talked about last week when we talked about elders, plural, the plurality of elders concept that God has in mind for the church as a whole is that we would have the give and take and the combined wisdom to help focus us and give us direction. This passage doesn't really address this because slaves and masters weren't always in that position, though probably there were some very good slaves who contributed great ideas as well. But this is talking more about a direct line of authority when we are stuck with submitting. But then he gives us a motivation. Because you know the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he has done, whether he is slave or free. So what will motivate us to put behind our sin nature of grumpiness or gossip? It's wanting a good testimony, verse 1 of 1 Timothy 6. But there's also this additional, you could say, spiritual carrot that God puts out there. You know I see and I will reward you. Now we, we could kind of quibble over, is this eternal rewards or is this on earth? What if it's both? I mean, who, who does a boss tend to promote? The, the, the grumpier, resistant employee or the willing and diligent, good attitude person? Um, 
It's amazing to think how God can reward when we see our work as a God thing. And he rewards. So the overall picture that we get when we look at this is to realize that our relationship to God is not confined to what we do here. I I wonder if sometimes we almost function as if, you know, well, God probably notices because I went to church today. Like that was the best thing that, that we did this week. And I would like to think it is. But the best thing we do is to reflect Christ every day of the week. And so there's not just a star for attendance at church, but rather God will reward whatever we do whenever it is. So if your job is food prep, God is with you, and he's, he's watching. He's rewarding. If your job is creating reports or data entry or doing sales meetings or taking complaint calls, I know some of you have to do that. Whatever it is, our work matters to God. And that's why so often th- this, th- these passages are not isolated. If it seems that we come across these a lot, it's because they're in there a lot. We have 1 Timothy and Ephesians here. It's in Colossians. It's in 1 Peter. It's in Titus, where, where there's a full paragraph like focused on our work relationships beyond uh, some other passages sprinkled elsewhere. But that's where most of our time is spent when you're in your career years. Why wouldn't that be the place where we focus on reflecting Christ and seeing his approval? So, whether slave or free... Free. Now, free, again, can mean that somebody that is kind of independent, the day laborer type. But it seems that what Paul is doing is introducing verse 9, which is a scenario we find hard to swallow today. And that is the scenario of a Christian who owned slaves, verse 9. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. In fact, uh, the grammar is probably saying not don't threaten, but stop threatening them. It's a word that basically means mistreat or bully somebody. And so... There's always that tendency when you're the superior to get really frustrated with those who are working at you and to actually abuse or mistreat them. Stop it, he says. I remember uh, working near a construction site once where the boss seemed to spend the whole day berating and almost literally screaming at the people working for him. Maybe you've been in those kind of working relationships and this is just a a warning call to those who are Christian bosses or managers. You are accountable for how you treat those who work for you. Why? Because you know that their master and yours, you have the same master. So here you are, you're thinking of the, of the, of the, the work chain. This is me, this is you, you do what I say. What is, what does God see? He's the master of all, and there really is no difference in the, in the position. So the contrast of verse 8 is, uh, God rewards those who work to please him, but verse 9, God holds accountable those, if they're bosses especially, who, who mistreat those who work for them. No favoritism. Um, you, 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 if you work for God, it doesn't make 
any difference what position you have. In fact, if you, if you picture God like a parent, that, that probably, hopefully you would do this as a parent, if you have two children and the older one is bullying the younger one, who do you favor, if anybody? You favor the, the weaker, smaller, younger one, and you hold accountable the older one. You should know better, and that's essentially what it's saying that God does if you are privileged to be promoted and lead and manage and oversee others, then know that you are accountable to God not to mistreat them. So that's for the Christian boss to consider. And uh, through the years, of course, I often know what a lot of people do. And I'm, I, I just am thrilled at hearing some of the opportunities that some of you who have been in more of a leadership role have had to show the grace of God. And likewise, those who have been in a position of following others, reflecting Christ. If we continue to do that, we will have an impact in our neighborhoods, in our communities, because we're having an impact in our workplace. Back to chapter 6 of First Timothy, and the second of those verses, which is uh, a unique scenario, and that is, what if you are a Christian slave working for a Christian master or a Christian employee working for a Christian boss, we would say. So you're both Christians, and you're, 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 the, you're the underling. Then what? Verse 2. Those who have believing masters are not to show less respect for them because they are brothers. Instead, they are to serve them even better because those who benefit from their service are believers and dear to them. These are the things you, Timothy, are to teach and urge on them. Okay, I, Paul's saying, I, I wrote this to them a couple of years ago, but I, I want you to repeat this because that's how important our workplace attitudes are. So if you have a believing master, don't show them less respect because they're they're your brothers. You see, in the church, Galatians tells us there's neither slave nor free, male nor female or whatever, and so we know that there's a spiritual equality in the church where these positions and demographics of, of, of society don't apply. In fact, it's not unrealistic to think that there may have been slaves in that day who were elders at a church, and there were masters who were not elders. So in terms of the church authority structure, a slave could actually be over his master because there's a, there's a, there's a, it's based on spiritual maturity at church. Then they go to work. And it's exactly flip-flopped. So he's saying, don't try to take advantage of that and saying, well, you know, you and I, we go to church together and I can... I can put a little less effort in it, and you won't, you won't be, be, be too hard on me for that, because, you know, you know, sometimes I think we think that working for a Christian would be paradise if you've had a difficult, unbelieving boss. But it does depend on the boss, Christian or not, doesn't it? So Paul says, what will that communicate if you try to take advantage of that? A, verse 1, is saying you'll slander the gospel because coworkers, people in your company, will realize you know what, you Christians are no different than you know, the, the, the boss who's a golfing buddy with somebody else and gives him all the favors and promotions. And 
you're, you're no different. You just you got your little Christian brotherhood thing, and so make sure that you don't do that. Both of your testimonies are at stake. Don't show less respect. In fact, let be, be be more submissive. Work even harder. And not only for testimony, what else does it say? Because those who benefit from their service are believers and dear to them. You want them to succeed. Have you operated with the principle that you want your boss to succeed? I've heard some of you uh, describe that being your, your way of thinking at work. I want to make my boss successful. Wow, what a transforming principle. But, but if it's somebody at church, you're actually saying you want them to be more successful and, and you might be invisible and they get all the credit. It's something very Christ-like about serving someone, isn't there? And so he calls us to that standard. So urge this upon the people at Ephesus that, that our worship is not just about the Sunday thing or the church thing, but our worship is what we do all week. Showing up, on, showing up on time matters to God, if that's important where you work. Making quality parts matters. Creating accurate reports matters. Helping customers or patients with sincerity and, and compassion matters. All these things matter because our relationship to Christ matters, which is because our impact to the world matters. In the early days of the pandemic, we often sang the song, uh, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Light in the Darkness. And so if work is chaotic and stressful with some of the current issues, embrace it and say, well, then I have a chance to be distinctly Christian, distinctly different because I am living in submission to the master of all and I want to represent him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just uh, recommit ourselves to whatever work you've called us to, knowing that uh, we are not just called to some of the ministries where our spiritual gifts are engaged. And I thank you, Lord, for all the spiritual gifts engaged today all around these buildings that uh, care for one another, build up one another, praying for one another, teaching and instructing one another. I thank you for all that happens here, but Lord, I pray that you would lift our eyes so that we are thinking of our impact around uh, the people that you've played, where you place us five, six days a week. And whether we work from home online or we're working in a uh, difficult environment, maybe one where your name is profaned too often, Lord, that we would reflect your name in a way that draws people's attention to you and then we would give you the glory because whether we eat or drink or anything we do must be devoted to that ultimate purpose in Jesus name amen